questions, and then Claire will come and speak. The reading this morning is from Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, and we're reading verses 9 to 17, and it's from the Message translation. It's a, a, a modern translation. And uh, so we say, the resurrection life. If God himself has taken up residence in you or your life, you can hardly be thinking of yourself more than him. Anyone, of course, who had not welcomed the invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves in your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Christ, you are delivered from the dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do, places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, Papa, what's next? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. This is the word of the Lord. Great, John. Thanks very much. Beautifully read. And sometimes when we hear familiar words but read in a different version to what many of us are used to, it brings it alive, doesn't it? And uh, so that's why we chose that for this morning. So, welcome again, and uh, as as, uh, Jeff said, I'm Claire, one of the ministers here, and I want to start this morning by doing a bit of a quick survey, okay? Um, I expect you've heard the phrase, owl, are you an owl or a lark, okay? So I'm just wondering, uh, which of us is up really early, bouncing around fresh as anything in the mornings? Can you put your hands up if you are one of those, okay? Uh, Just not that many, but a few, okay? And you notice my hand resolutely down here. Uh, So you must be the owls, okay? Now then, how about um, you can't get up in the morning, but you're absolutely wide awake at midnight? Who's more like that? Right, sort of similar number of hands. Excellent, my hand's still resolutely down because who's neither like me? You can't wake up and you're ready for bed about 10 o'clock at night. Yep, okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one. 
Maybe some of you have got young children, especially part of Isla's family here, and you just feel like you're dead most of the time because that's what life's like with little children. But I do promise you, mine are now well grown up. It does get a lot better. So hang on in there. I promise it will be better. So, well, apparently there's been a survey and it shows that about one in ten of us is uh, really up, raring to go, all, already uh, all guns blazing at, at dawn. We're the, um, we're the larks. Those are the larks. Okay, so I think that was roughly um, balanced by the uh, number of hands that went up. Um, and then about two in ten of, of the general population are owls who are find their best time is just after midnight. Um, and I think we were maybe just edging more owls than larks. And the rest of us, so that means seven in ten by my maths, those of us in the middle, we're hummingbirds. That's what we are. How about that? I like that better than being owls. We're neither one extreme or the other. And some of us hummingbirds are a bit more larkish and some of us are a bit more owlish. Um, so be, be reassured, you know, you, you fit, you're a hummingbird. So that's wonderful. But only one, of, one in ten people are raring to go in the mornings. That means the rest of us are more likely to be dead to the world uh, when, the, when the alarm clo- clock goes off. And that can mean what I think it means, which it means being fast asleep, doesn't it? But when I looked it up, apparently there's another meaning, and those of you who are a bit more social media savvy than I am will maybe know this, but if somebody uh, becomes so overworked, so stressed out, so sleep-deprived, and or having so much schoolwork that they just feel forced to freeze all their social interactions, for a while, then on Facebook or whatever, they put the posting up declaring, I am now dead to the world. Okay? And they're not going to respond and they're going to go silent. So I don't know if any of you feel like that this morning. Um, I certainly am not after all the drama we've had, but some of you may be just waking up. Well... What's this got to do with anything? You might be sitting there wondering. Well, it's a good question. Let's see. Hopefully most of you know that this is the first weekend after Easter. And last weekend, the Christian church celebrated one of its biggest festivals. And that's when we commemorated the death of Jesus Christ, which we did on Good Friday, and celebrated his rising again from the dead three days later, which is what happened on Easter Sunday. And it was two early morning larks, two women actually, who went early in the morning on that first Easter to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body ready for burial because they hadn't had time to do it on the Friday because it was all a bit of a rush as he was taken down from the cross. Now as they got nearer the tomb, to their absolute astonishment, it was uh, the stone, the big huge heavy stone that normally seals the front, it was rolled away and his body wasn't there. And the grave was completely empty, apart from the grave clothes. And there was somebody else there, though. Somebody who they, uh, the accounts of that uh, story, call an angel. And this angel said, he is not here, he is risen. And these women were so astonished and afraid, their reaction was to run away. And that's what they did. And they rushed off to find the other ones of Jesus' friends and followers. And none of them believed their story to start with, probably, actually. And it was only later that day that Jesus, when he appeared to them in bodily, solid human bodily form, that they started to believe it could be true. That what Jesus had been promising 
for whole of his um, adult life that he would die and he would rise again was true and he had done it and he had been risen and far from being dead to the world he was very much alive in the world now arguably that was the climax of history up till then and ever since we've been living in a new era an era which is one when we remember the past we remember Jesus's life death and his resurrection and, but we're also looking forward to the future, the future where Jesus is going to come again, as he promised, and he will usher in a new era where the whole of creation, the whole of life on earth will be transformed and healed, and that will be the state of affairs. We'll be close to God forever and ever. But for now, for the present, we're actually living in an in-between time, the time in between Jesus' first coming and in between his second coming. And the question I want to ask ourselves today is this one. Are we living as Easter people? Are we living as Easter people? What do our lives look like when Easter, the celebrations of Easter, have been and gone? When the Easter bunny has packed up and gone home? When all the chocolate eggs are eaten? Mine have been long since. Uh, When life returns to normal, when school or college or work or whatever life, normal life looks like for you, when that has started up again, and when the Easter Day sermon, if you even heard one, has receded into the dim and distant memory and you can't remember what was said. What do our lives look like today? Are we living as Easter people? Because Easter people don't just know about the story of Easter. I've just explained that to you, so you all know about the story of Easter now. Easter people know what the story of Easter means for them in their day-to-day lives. The Bible says this. um, It's in the New Testament, in the, the newer bits of writing in the Bible. And it says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And he will raise us also. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, what that says is we too can share in the fullness of what that resurrection life means for us. There's actually a really close connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of believers. So what I'm going to do now, in classic church fashion, I'm going to live down to your expectations. I'm going to give you a three-point sermon when all of each point starts with the letter S. Actually, I'm going to even exceed your living down expectations, give you four points, all beginning with the letter S. Uh, Don't worry, they're not hugely long. Um, I I realize I'm well into it by now. But here they are, the four points uh, of what it means to live as Easter people, what it means to live the resurrection life in all its fullest. We need to be seeking, we need to be surrendering, we need to be serving, and we need to be sowing. That's not stitching, that's sowing seeds. Okay, so let's look at these uh, in turn. So let's start with seeking. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's really easy to feel very distant from God, to feel as if he's kind of irrelevant to your life. Life is fine. Even if we believe in him, sometimes it just feels like he's not really a part of what's going on. Sometimes the Bible and its stories can just seem like empty words. Now that can happen if you've been a Jesus follower for five hours, five days, five weeks, five months or even 50 years. 
Sometimes we all go through periods like that. And it can, ev- it can be the, the case, even if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian at all. God, irrelevant. The words in the Bible, empty words. And maybe I dare to think that some of you are actually sitting here today thinking, this is just spiritual claptrap and I wish you'd get on and finish it so we can get on with the rest of the day. And I've been through long periods of that myself, so I'm not just talking at you here, I'm telling you what I've experienced. My first 30 plus years, 35 years, I was felt exactly like that. I'd heard about Jesus I went to church occasionally, Christmas, things like that. I knew a few stories about Jesus, his life. I knew other stories from the Bible, Noah's Ark maybe, lion's dens and things like that. I went to church, as I say, occasionally, but it didn't really mean anything to me, to be honest. And it was only after I had my first baby, like like you have, only after I had my first baby, I just started asking those big questions of myself. What's it all about? Where do we come from? What's going to happen after we die? And I started seeking. And eventually my seeking took me to church. And I started to hear good teaching. And the Bible was brought alive to me. And I started to look into it for myself. And that's when it all started to fall into place. When I sought God, he reached out to me. Jesus said this. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And that's what Easter people do. doesn't matter where their start point is. They ask the questions. They seek. They look for God for something bigger than themselves outside of their own personal experience. And they knock on the door. They say, here I am. If you're there, speak to me. Find me. And when they do that, when Easter people do that, when we do that, Jesus is there. He answers our questions. He reaches out to find us and he opens the door to us. And that's the door to a richer, fuller life than you could ever imagine. That's the resurrection life. So the first thing that we need to do is to seek. And the second thing we need to do is to surrender. Not such a positive sounding word, that one, I think. Well, God offers us this resurrection life when we seek and find him and we can receive it from him if we stop trying to live our lives our own way. Okay? We have to surrender ourselves to him. Now, when Isla was baptised just now, the use of that water was richly symbolic. And uh, to start with, it's a symbolism of being washed clean. Washed clean of our wrongdoing. uh, Washed clean of the things that dirty our lives up washed clean of putting ourselves first. We're washed of all that. We're washed clean and we start our new life as a forgiven person. But the water is also used as a symbol of the movement from death to life. Often when we have an adult baptism, we we get our big pool out. Okay, we have a pool that comes up here and the person goes right under the water and as they rise up out of that water, they leave behind everything of the old life And they rise up into the new life. It's a very vivid physical symbol of what's happening spiritually. Everything that comprised our old life gets symbolically left behind in the waters of death. And that means we abandon all the old ways of thinking about our identity, who we are. Especially if the ways that we think about ourselves bring us pride, inappropriate pride, 
or pain. We're not to be defined anymore by our looks or lack of them, our achievements or lack of them, our social success and popularity or lack of it. We are now defined by our identity in God, our relationship to him. In the passage from the book of Romans that John read to us, it says, God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father and children. And that's not a timid, limiting, fearful life. When we surrender ourselves to God, the spirit of Jesus comes to live within us and he confirms who we really are. We're really a precious child of God and we become, in legal terms, adopted into God's family, an inheritor of God's kingdom and the fullness of that and all that that means, a life of adventure, expectancy and full of hope. Jesus said another thing to his followers. He said, for it's my father's will that everyone who looks to the son, in other words, who looks for him, who seeks him, everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. No fear in death. Life eternal. So only simply believe in the truth of what happened at Easter that Jesus died and rose to life. Surrender your life and your any misplaced sense of identity to God and you can receive God's spirit in you, which is what you need to live as Easter people. So seek him, surrender to him, and thirdly, serve him. So now we come to what that resurrection life might actually look like as we live it out. Now, when I, as I just said, when we give our, ourselves to God, he sends his Holy Spirit to give us the power we need to live that life full of God's potential. Now, just as a little digression, have you heard of the um, experiment of fleas in a jar? Any of you heard of that experiment? Apparently, what happened was some scientists, for reasons best known to themselves, stuck a great load of fleas in a jam jar. Uh, and I don't know if you know this, but fleas can leap 80 times their own height, right? So that means someone about my height could clear the London eye with room to spare if I was a flea, or if a flea was me, whatever. Anyway, so they put the fleas in the jar, uh, which fleas could easily leap out of, right? And then they put the, the lid on the jar. So fleas being fleas, they started to try and jump out of the jar, and they kept thumping their head on the, on the lid. And eventually, rather sadly, they they got fed up with bashing their heads on the lid and they just sat at the bottom of the jam jar feeling morose, if fleas can feel morose. Anyway, whatever they felt, probably just going, ow. Anyway, then they so left them like that for a while and then eventually they took the lid off. And okay, fleas could easily get out, right? And, and they, but the thing was, they just sat there for a while. They didn't do anything. And then maybe, I think, one or two more adventurous fleas <laughs> had to give it a go. And eventually they leapt out. And then some more followed and more followed and more followed. But a few fleas were so beaten up by thumping on the lid that they never tried to escape. They just stayed sitting there. The rest of them went off to feast on cats or whatever else they wanted to do. Now... Life without God, life without God is like life with that lid on 
Okay, you get my drift? Okay, that's a life that's limited by our misplaced sense of identity and by our circumstances. Life without God with a lid on is a life where we are defined and limited by stuff that life's chucked at us in the past, by pain or abuse or loss or whatever it might be for you. Or what's happening to us in the present, maybe the same sort of things, or lack of money, or lack of a home, or lack of love. Limited by our past or our present circumstances. Things that can cause us to feel fear or guilt or shame. Okay, But in our resurrection life, God takes the lid off. Okay, Our circumstances don't have to keep on defining us. All right? And we're free to live for God, not restricted by what life has chucked at us, by restricted by who we think we are or what we can do. That life is there for the taking. So what I'm saying to you today is please don't be like the fleas who just sat there so beaten up by what life has done to you in the past or is doing to you in the present that you don't take that leap in God's power, in God's spirit to live the fullness, the potential of what life really has when you live out that resurrection life, filled with God's Holy Spirit and ready to go. We can walk in forgiveness, knowing who we are in Christ, knowing we're freed from everything that's bound us up in the past, and we can seek and receive that forgiveness when we do wrong in the present, like we did earlier in the service. We all mess up. We all need to find forgiveness, but we don't need to have that tying us up. So we've nothing to prove in our resurrection life except the extent of God's love for us. So I'm coming back to the serve bit now. It's a bit of a roundabout way of getting to it. But to be a child of God means we have a purpose. Right? In the Bible it says, For we're God's workmanship, created in Christ, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created to do good works. It's not the reason that we have our faith. It's not the reason that God saves us, but we have works he wants us to do. And that is in serving others, in showing his love for others, in caring, in loving. But we can't serve if we're sitting in that metaphorical little jar, feeling sorry for ourselves. It's in giving that paradoxically we will receive the most. We know that saying, don't we? It's better to give than to receive. We are to serve in order to show God's love to others. So we have sought God, we've found him, we've surrendered our lives to him. And out when we're working out that surrendered life in loving and serving others. And finally, we come to our very short final S, which is to sow. Okay? So as well as serving, what God calling us to do is to share the good news of what he's done for us, not keep it to ourselves, to tell our story. Now, whether that would be a bedtime story if we're owls or an, or an early morning story if we're larks or in between if we're hummingbirds, it doesn't matter. The story still needs to be shared. And when we share our faith story, we will, show, we will sow seeds of faith in someone else. Okay? When we tell them what God's done for us, Someone else will hear and think, maybe he can do that for me. And maybe, 
just maybe one day, because we've shared our story of faith with other people, maybe they'll come and take the steps and seek God and find him for themselves. And in that way, their life can be not limited by their circumstances, but the fullness of the wonderful, adventurous, exciting life that God has for us. That's what Easter people are like. I want to finish now by asking you a few questions to think about as I finish and then uh, as you go away for the rest of today. Now, I obviously don't know where you all stand today, but I just want to ask you to think about this uh, as you go and enjoy your lovely christening party or whatever else we've got on today, the lovely church meeting at four o'clock. Well, Jesus said this, I came so that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. So would you rather, would you really rather live as someone who's, so to speak, switched off, stressed out, hiding in your safe little jar, ignoring the fullness of life that following Jesus offers, dead to the world, in other words? Would you rather live like that? Would you really? Or would you rather live as someone who's an Easter person, alive to Christ, who understands what living the resurrection life is, that it's there for the taking and what it means for them, seeking God, surrendering to him, serving him and others, and sharing your story, sowing seeds of faith in others, which would you really rather be doing today? I'm going to pray, and then we'll continue. Is it Jan in prayer after me? Yeah, we'll continue in prayer after that. So, dear Lord.